Hello and welcome to The People on Chunk, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. Today our guest is Nikki Darling, a writer and critic in Los Angeles whose work investigates notions of power, identity, lust, and drive. So much of my work is about trying to control something when maybe I don't have control in other areas and trying to find an outlet for self-destructive behavior. Like, what if I hadn't found Axl Rose? I mean, I probably would have found someone else, but if I just didn't have that obsession at all during that time, like, I don't I don't know, I might not be alive. And so exploring that impulse in the work is really curious for me. Joining our conversation will be Los Angeles writer Sam Cohen, whose chapbook Gossip is available from Birds of Lace Press. I think I am really interested in extremely intense moments in dyadic relationships. Like really strange shifts can happen between two people in a way that they don't tend to either um, with one person or with larger groups. A lot of social rules and ways of interacting um, can, can change and get really weird. Later in the show, we'll also hear Ann Boyer read a poem from a recent performance here in Los Angeles. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond, like a broken record magically repaired. You can listen to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM, every third Sunday at 3 p.m., or you can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. We're hosted by Insert Blanc Press. To find out more, go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page. Nikki Darling and Sam Cohen, welcome to The People. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to start by reading the small poem that I wrote while we were discussing how we're going to set up. But before I read, I would like the audience and the people listening to know that we both, when we saw that we had pens and blank paper at our disposal, like feverishly started, furiously started doing things. You drew a beautiful pen sketch of myself. (laughs) You drew a portrait of me and I'm going to take it and put it on my fridge. And I wrote this, I'm going to call it a limerick, even though it's not. And I actually don't know what a limerick is. Why not? Okay, here we go. Girl power with three R's. Girl power, vagina power, erasure is for dicks. Dicks are for suckers. Love is not war. War is not good for children and all living things. So Sam, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on today... (laughs) It's because um, you and I are engaged in a writing project called Horse Girls with um, the writer, other writers, Amelia Gray and Sabra Embry, and we are in the process of trying to find a home for it. And um, I originally got the idea for the piece with Amelia um, in the desert. We were in the desert, and we were talking about how we loved horses, and there was all this sort of like talk around horses and horse girls and what that kind of meant, and we agreed that if we were to actually explore like what or who the horse girl is, we might get to the sort of deeper understanding of why horses are attractive to young women. And um, I immediately thought of you um, about collaborating on this project with us because so much of your work seems to um, revolve around the idea that there is power in girlhood. And it's a theme that I think we share with other writers in our community um, 
Kate Durbin, for instance, but that, that there's this sort of, speaking of erasure, that there is this sort of erasure of power from what it is to sort of thirst or be hungry as a young woman and how that's sort of like diminished in the culture or treated as um, that there are all these ways in which this, I'm going to call it the patriarchy, um, aka society, um, tries to undermine young women in everything from like vocal fry to how we talk to slang to sort of the things that young women find interesting. And I think that there's a really big movement within the literary community, at least in LA to sort of like reclaim the power of girlhood. And I, when I think of that, the people I think of that come to my mind immediately are you. Um, Thank you. Not just because we've worked together and it's important to us personally in our own work, but Mm -hmm. the other thing I like about this is that our own work is both very much invested in this idea of power through girlhood, but it comes out and I feel like it, it's expressed in different ways. But I like your stories a lot. And I loved your chapbook gossip, even though it's not specifically about girlhood. It's about this idea that there is a language that's spoken that is sort of treated frivolously. And I started thinking about this when I wrote that pink thing the power of pink and the power of femme and the power of girlhood and the power of like which was a review of my chapbook gossip along with um kate durbin's e-entertainment and laurie weeks's yeah um, um scissor um had a no zipper mouth, zipper mouth. <laughs> so laurie weeks's zipper mouth could you expand a little on on sort of what attracts you to girlhood what you think is going on in the larger culture with trying to sort of erase or diminish girlhood and why you think it's important for us to recognize girlhood. And this is a multi-tiered question. And finally, why you think girlhood is actually powerful and important? Yeah, that's a, a lot. It's a lot. Can so you talk. repeat those? Okay. All right. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just talk. Um, I think it's interesting what you say about their um, L.A. being a city that is particularly invested in girlhood. And I think that I think something I'm struggling with is the word power. Um, I'm not sure whether I think that there's power in girlhood or. Um, yeah, that I don't. And, and not that I don't think that, but I don't think that that's something I feel committed to. But I I think that I felt um, always kind of too stuck in girlhood to be making work at all. And a lot of the work that I saw that was kind of um, adult women stuck in their voices and in their fashion in a kind of girlhood was coming from L.A. And that was a big force, I think, that brought me here, was that I had a sense that I could make things here. Do you mean um, pop culture and music? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I think, I mean, the, the kind of actually like one thing that I'm thinking of was... Um, Becky Stark's music, Lavender Diamond. Yes, I wrote um, a review of Lavender Diamond, which is so funny you should bring them up. And I got into a really crazy um, commenter debate with, at the LA Record. It's about someone who wanted to diminish the... It doesn't continue. Yeah, and I remember, see, I remember um, seeing her perform um, and feeling so shocked by her choreography and her kind of little girl dresses and bright lipstick and all of that. Um, and kind of, kind of very, um, earnest childlike in a sense lyrics, but that felt very true. People, I think people really dismissed a lot of that stuff as twee 
at the time. Mm-hmm. Like that word was being used a lot yeah. in the early two thousands. Um, um, Maybe it's but time to, to me reclaim it felt, tweet. To yeah. me, like, and I, I really just like things that actually rub me as twee. Um, even but, though you're drinking from that mug, even though I'm drinking from this owl mug, which I do love, so so cute. So yeah, maybe I should. No, no, I'm examine just... my relationship between <laughs> us. But um, but there was something about all of that stuff that really spoke to me and felt really. It felt like it was coming from a place that I hadn't known I was allowed to make art from. Like I had felt that my my voice had to get more adult or mm. get more objective or get more kind of serious and stable before I before I could make anything. And so I think actually that that um, kind of ability to make work from the perspective of the girl is is part of what brought me here. Could I interrupt you yeah. or add on to that? I yeah. think it's interesting that you should talk about power because one of the reasons, uh, and just hearing from what you just said right now, um, I love your work so much. You're one of my favorite writers that I went to school with and just in the community of writers in LA. Um, one of the things that I love about your work is is that you do you do create a space of allowance for people to access voices that might not commonly be thought of as like the appropriate or like deemed intellectual voice of the writer. Right. Like, and I'm not saying that your work is not sophisticated because it's incredibly sophisticated, but it's sophisticated and it's sort of honesty with, in its earnestness with, with its girlishness. Like it's mm-hmm. very like femme driven. It's very girl driven. Like the reason I immediately loved your work so much was that it did remind you of like it took me to this place when I first accessed my own sort of feminist early powerhood feelings of like I'm allowed to like think about Jesus and masturbate on my bedroom floor and I'm 14. And it just kind of it opened this door because your work actually opened the door for my own work in a lot of ways. I don't even know if you know in class where I was like, oh, I can write about these things I can write about the, in this voice sort of and then that and and I think it's interesting that you should say you don't know if it's grounded in power because I mm. think that that the experience you had at Lavender Diamond watching Becky sing was a powerful moment for you yeah 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 I'm not saying that um I guess I just don't I don't want to say that I'm coming from a place of trying to show that girlhood is powerful Got or it. um that it's that it's more that um like a place of permission maybe that that the girl is worth exploring in the first place that Got the it. girl you know that the yeah. um that the girl can talk that I don't have to learn how to talk um differently like yeah and a in like a New Yorkerish yeah. kind yeah, of yeah, voice yeah. before I can write or in a, you know, even I think that the New York literary world is very, um, and that's, that's where I came from before I moved here. And, um, and I don't know, I interned at a public space and I think that the people that I was around, um, were really invested in this kind of spare short story that, yeah, I they have like, like they, yeah, Carver, a public yeah. space like that journal has a kind of a particular voice. It's funny. I interned yeah. at Opium, and it was a it was the op, it was not that, but it was this very mm-hmm. like Taolin like, and this is like two thousand four, five, six. So he mm-hmm. was like actually being published in Opium at the time, and so it was like a very New York kind of not girl, yeah, not yeah. It was. And yeah, and I, I love a public space like we, yeah. um, yeah, like John Haskell is in there, 
like there's a lot of good, yeah it's a great journal leslie jameson and it looks, we published her first short story and, and it always looks yeah. really good and i it appreciate really that good. and yeah. they, they have like kind of concentrated issues that don't seem like forced right you know what right, i mean it's right, just kind right. of like they i don't know mm-hmm. yeah it's like a subject seems to coalesce for them or something right but can you, can you guys tell us because you guys started the yeah. conversation with you're working on a collaborative project yeah yeah can you tell just i mean I, i'm guessing it's in process but mm-hmm. what is it what is well, that project yeah the stories are actually all finished. We're looking for a home oh, nice. for it. We haven't been able to find the right fit. Part of that Everybody is... Everybody listen up. Part of that <laughs> has been that I think we've all... All four of us have been very busy with, with other projects. And um, I think it's safe to say that it's an important project to all four of us. We've just not had sort of and maybe that's something that the four of us can get a group email going in the next couple of weeks about trying to find so is it it all short stories or like so it's and each person writes a story or is it kind of like uh you guys are actually collaborating on a sentence level or no no okay i actually i'm really interested in hearing you describe this project nikki because um this was originally it started with nikki and amelia gray yes and they invited to other we each invited yeah cool yeah and it is it's a piece that i struggled Mm -hmm. with a lot because i it was always hard for me to get a a handle on what i love your piece the project was well so oh okay that's interesting so um so amelia and i each we had like i was saying this long talk in the desert two years ago at this thing called desert ladies um that is put together by ann friedman whose birthday i just came from happy birthday Anne! i love you powerful beautiful woman in the world so amelia and i were at this retreat that ann puts together called um desert ladies which is very like it's just like it's a big retreat for a bunch of feminists and we get together and you're allowed to like sit by the pool and talk about things like how come there's never been like a collection of stories written from the perspective of the horse girl. Like I think that Amelia and I were very mm. much struck by the fact that horse girls are written about, they're talked about like horses, yeah. but horses seem to be the sort of central object there. And we were really curious, like how many horse girls do you actually know? And there, and there was also this idea that they were these sort of blonde. I, I'm not trying. I, some of my favorite people are blonde. That's not a dismissive. I just mean like, like, but the, it, the stereotypical, like, Sweet <laughs> Valley. My favorite people are blonde. <laughs> <laughs> but, but do you know what I mean? This sort of stereotypical, like, like yeah. rich girl, sure. like, yeah. snobby girl. Or, a- 80s movie popular girl. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. or she was this really crazy, like, obsessed with animals, like, t- herd ghosts, like, secret girl with dark hair in her face who didn't, like, talk to anyone else and was, like, m- maybe, like maybe like Carrie's sister you know like and her mom was a witch you know what I mean like it was like it was never and so Amelia and I talked about who are those girls and like what what is it about the horses that is so attractive to these girls like what is it in their lives that makes the horses such an object of desire and and to also admit that there is like there is sexuality tied up in it as well. I don't mean like bestiality. I mean, but there's like horses are powerful. I think there's a bestiality element. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There was, there's like a sexual energy both through the attraction to the animal, but also something in the age of these girls, usually between like 11 and 17, I would be safe to say. And 
But, but right, like every time you become like fiercely obsessed with someone ex- or something, at least in my story, okay, I'm going to speak from the perspective of my story. My story kind of was about, I have been someone who's been extremely obsessed with things since my earliest memory. I've been obsessed with people, magazines, objects, stories, like animals, but it was always a way for me to sort of, it's going to sound so like therapy hour, like fill feel like a lack do you know what I mean like a thing that wasn't being addressed or taken care of either in my home or by my family and and it was a way for me to sort of like fill that part of myself in kind of like harm reduction right and so for me my story was about like this girl who comes from she she lives in a home where she's being sexually abused and she has a mother who her relationship with is complicated I don't think the mom is bad or good she's herself like a grown girl and um and and the the horse then becomes like an object of sort of that I don't want to say energy maybe energy is the right word the energy that is created from that situation is focused into the horse and and so my story is very different than all but my story is different than Sam's story is different than Sabra's story is different than Amelia's story so Mm -hmm. but that's how I approach something I'm finding interesting though is that um I think that another reason that it was hard for me to write is because I don't know the horse girl. Mm. Um, And so I wasn't like the horse girl writing the horse girl. You're listening to The People on K-Chunk, 1630 AM. We'll return to our conversation with Nikki Darling and Sam Cohen in a few minutes. But first, a new installment of Notes from the People. This episode in our Notes from the People segment, we have poet Anne Boyer. Here's her reading at the Church of the Epiphany for the Poetic Research Bureau this past October 2015. What resembles the grave but isn't. Always falling into a hole, then saying, okay, this is not your grave, get out of this hole. Getting out of the hole which is not the grave, falling into a hole again, saying, okay, this is also not your grave, get out of this hole. Getting out of that hole, falling into another one, sometimes falling into a hole within a hole or many holes within holes. Getting out of them one after the other, then falling again, saying, this is not your grave, get out of this hole. Sometimes being pushed, saying, you can't push me into this hole, it is not my grave, and getting out defiantly, then falling into a hole again without any pushing. Sometimes falling into a set of holes whose structures are predictable, ideological, and long dug, often falling into the set of structural and impersonal holes. Sometimes falling into holes with other people, with other people saying, this is not our mass grave, get out of this hole, all together getting out of the hole together, hands and legs and arms and human ladders of each other to get out of the hole that is not the mass grave, but that will only be gotten out of together. Sometimes the willful falling into a hole which is not the grave because it is easier than not falling into a hole really, but then once in it, realizing it is not the grave, getting out of the hole eventually. Sometimes falling into a hole and languishing there for days, weeks, months, years, because while not the grave, very difficult still to climb out of, and you know after this hole there's just another and another. Sometimes surveying the landscape of holes and wishing for a high-quality final hole. Sometimes thinking of who has fallen into holes which are not graves but might be better if they were. Sometimes too ardently contemplating the final hole while trying to avoid the provisional ones. Sometimes dutifully falling and getting out with perfect fortitude, saying, look at the skill and spirit with which I rise from that which resembles the grave but isn't. 
Now let's return to our conversation with Nikki Darling and Sam Cohen. So we were, we were, t- you were talking about um, your kind of obsessions or your oh. obsessive personality so obsessive. as a way of dealing with, I don't know, trauma or, yeah. um, okay. Um, but that the like your the obsession has continued and also bleeds into your work like i think that and i guess i guess i'm wondering if you have if you can talk a little bit about how your work intersects or doesn't with fan cultures or fan fiction it does very much so <laughs> um yeah sure um I'm, uh, so, so I wrote that Axel Rose essay, I, gosh, it was like five, six years ago now, um, the appropriate for destruction, which was about my obsession with Axel Rose. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was like a very real thing that happened in my life from the age of like 18 to maybe 22, I became just like it was, I, I had to write about it because I don't think I've ever been obsessed with anything or anyone like that since or before. It just became this really all-consuming thing where I just, and it was like the birth of the internet. So it was like you would go on and there's like Angel Fire, um, like, um, what's it called? Uh, it wasn't the internet we know now. It was like early, when the internet was just mm-hmm. getting its feet going. So it was like Angel Fire galleries, right? So it was like... I was just like obsessively checking the internet every night to see or like go walking to the library because I didn't have a computer yet to see sort of like what if anyone had like uploaded something new and I would like I would like print it. It was like my obsessions are always very much like wrapped into library culture also because I'm I'm 35. So in the like early 90s when I first started this sort of like obsessive personality part of myself, which I think I was born with is like I would go to libraries and like pull out pictures of Marlon Brando who was I would say probably my first young adult obsession I became obsessed with him but anyway so I wrote this essay about that time in my life and I realized now with hindsight that one of the one of the reasons I think that that essay happened or that obsession happened was because it coincided with probably one of the darkest periods of my life in my personal life I was I was going through it was right before I got to New York it was I was whatever I've written about it before I was like I doing a lot of drugs I was um I was like at the height of like my active alcoholism and I just I had very little respect for myself and um putting myself into sort of dangerous situations I had like a lot going on in my family life that was like very like sort of whatever so this Axel Rose thing became and I didn't realize it at the time. It became sort of like an outlet for all of that. And um, going back and writing this essay 10 years later after that time, putting it together, I think I sort of was like, oh, every time I've had sort of sort of like a difficult period in my life, like the that sort of like compulsion has like ticked. It's like gotten more intense, like whatever I happen to be obsessed with at that moment, like really intensifies. Like I'm always like a little obsessed with things like I'm like, oh, I'm obsessed with the exit squirrel, whatever, you know, but I don't like go there and eat them like every single day. But um, and now it's it's lessened to the point where it's like, don't even really it's almost like it's almost like a memory of like that part of my personality. But anyway, so I think for me in my work, I've always been curious 
I think, and I don't know if it's like this for you, but when I write, so much of it is about trying to understand myself, right? Like I'm constantly trying to understand why I do the things I do and why I think the way I think and kind of like, yeah. <laughs> like trying to yeah. like untangle my own choices. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, one of the reasons I wanted to write, I'm talking about that essay because it's so, it's clearly about obsession and fan culture. And I, and in the essay, yeah. I talk about fan fiction and then I became really invested in these other girls who had similar impulses as me. And um, these people on the internet that were writing like fan fiction and I started writing fiction as fan fiction before I even knew what fan fiction was. I was writing like extended versions of my favorite novels, alternative endings, like writing like romances between characters. I mean like sixth, seventh grade, like fifth, sixth, seventh grade. Like I would, I was like, oh, you know, Gandalf and who, I, you know, that's, <laughs> I didn't really do that. But you know what I mean? Like I would write alternative versions of books I really loved and um and I think for me, it was a way to put my obsessions, it was a way for me to control my obsessions, right? Because I could like integrate them into my own life. And so, so much of my work is about trying to control something when maybe I don't have control in other areas and also trying to find an outlet for self-destructive behavior, like temper. Like if I didn't have that, if say I, I think about like, what if I hadn't found Axl Rose? I mean, I probably would have found someone else, but if I just didn't have that obsession at all during that time, like, I don't, I don't know. I might not be alive. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a thing that like keeps me. And so exploring that impulse and the work is really curious for me. Mm-hmm. like a place of curiosity mm-hmm. can you also I mean I, I guess I'm curious about because that's that's one thing in sort of your you have a history as a music critic oh and yeah. um and then I think that you started to do kind of autobiographical essays um through yes through looking at music and pop culture that's correct um but then more recently I think that you've been engaging a lot with kind of fan modes like collage um and also plagiarism yes and yeah and I get can you speak to kind of how that um how that might be part of that process of self-discovery or yeah I think I think it is I think it is Yeah. yeah so you're making me realize that so much of my work is like based in narcissism in the sense that it's me trying to like feel but it's or, also not narcissistic because you're you're looking outward. You're really engaging yeah. with other people's stuff, and that's yeah. also almost all work ever. Right. So yeah, right. So yeah, the plagiarism thing. So that. So I think maybe you're talking about my chat book, Pink Trumpet and the Purple Prose with the plagiarism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So for that, I did. I made. So I would say that that might be like oh, this sounds like a corny word, but like maybe the most like sophisticated thing I've done in in the sense that I thought a lot about it like so much of what I've written has just been like me letting myself sort of vomit words on the page and then going back and erasing as I go and I I love working in that mode and it's been my main mode for so long but with that book I made like conscious. So maybe dis- the most conceptual more than the most sophisticated. Yes, the most concept. Yes. Yeah. 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 I just mean that. Yeah. That, and I, I made a very deliberate decision that I was going to do cut ups and that I was cur- I was looking a lot at a lot of like burrows. I was reading like the ticket that exploded and um, stuff like that and reading Anais Nin. And I was really curious about Anais Nin's work, which she said was 
was memoir, but that we now know is almost entirely fiction. And um, I mean, I mean, but I, I, I tend to be in the camp of that, like all fiction is memoir in the sense that it comes from me. And so I have to have in some way some sort of understanding of what I'm writing in order to sort of get it out, believe convincingly. Okay, so the appropriation and the plagiarism. And all memoir is fiction, right? So Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, I kind yeah. of, I feel that. It's a two-way street, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Yes, I agree. So <laughs> I think, I think for me, um, with, with that sort of, that work with the appropriation and the, it was me trying to embody other people, specifically with like the, um, the parts where I have like the Laurie Anderson piece next to the Cindy Sherman piece next to the, um, Cindy Lauper piece and I redact all their names I think for me that was trying to understand myself as someone who could be like these women that that we all are in some way like these women and that mm-hmm. these are spectacular women because they had spectacular lives and that there was something obsessive in me that wanted that and that I could have that for myself if I just took their names out and said that they were me yeah, that, uh, that's kind of related to something I was thinking about on the way over here because I sort of had the sense that you were going to want to talk about horse girls. And <laughs> I was thinking about my horse girls piece in which um, my, you assigned me the name Sarah to work with. Um, and so I have a Sarah who keeps morphing into different Sarahs from pop culture, like different teenage Sarahs. Um, and I think that part of that for me was just the idea that um, as a teenage girl, um, and she also literally can't get past 12 years old, um, mm. even though years so keep amazing. passing. So, um, so even though they're, um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of, I think this idea that there are kind of so few representations of girls and also like you're working with girl women writers, right. But also kind of so few, um, women writers when you're a kid and don't have kind of, um, everything at your disposal or you don't hear about everything um that it it somehow seems completely possible to be any of them like just being a girl right so like you see um like she becomes the character in labyrinth and it's like oh yeah i can be this really also um, sarah oh yeah like great yeah yeah sarah in labyrinth (laughs) is this really heroic and brave and fair and just and moral right over me yeah (laughs) (laughs) um sarah but then there's sarah in the craft right and she could also be this right and so it's yeah and and i think that there is this feeling that like when you every each representation of a girl or a woman is somehow something you could suddenly be um and that's kind of what's what you're saying i think about um, I, anais nin and yes into clarice the specter i you knew yeah, yeah because we were reading clarice and Lori's class and mm-hmm. that's how I'd, I'd never heard of her and then i bought aquaviva and became like absolutely just completely obsessed and um and i think to go uh, two things one i you made me think about the fact that there are so few representations or what I will call quote unquote positive representations when you're a girl of things that you can emulate that so often I feel like I was drawn to things like the mouse and the motorcycle or or, negative representations or or negative representations. Yes. Yes. What you meant. Yes. That that like, that is another thing that I think is attractive to girls about horses, right? Is that they're like your horse might be a boy or might be a girl, but it's an animal, right? Like it's not, like, I remember being really into the mouse and the motorcycle because it wasn't a boy or a girl. I mean, he is a boy, but he's a mouse, right? 
and that that like <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> but but let, less of that. More, um, I think one of the reasons those little license plates. Um, that have your name on them are so popular with teenagers, right? Is because we want to think of ourselves as existing, right? Outside of ourselves, that we are, that there are people that have our same name, right? And who are these people that have our same name that have different lives? And like, I think about those license plates all the time. You know what I'm talking about? You can sure. buy the keychains or you can oh, get yeah, them at like yeah, Disneyland. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like you're driving through New Mexico and you go to the like gas station. And so, so you're saying the reason that we like them isn't because they're they're like so us. It's because they are depersonalizing in a way. Yes, because and I'm always curious and, and they're very popular with teenagers specifically. Like teenagers have them in the locker and um I think I'm always really curious to see like what names are like there's the fewest of. Right. Mm-hmm. And like like oh there aren't that like growing up with the name Nicole, like I could never find a Nicole license they were plate. Out. They were constantly out. Uh, yeah. And I mean Nicole is the reason that I'm Nikki because when I was like a kid, one it's just it's a name that people just naturally they just do it. Calling you they Nikki. do it on their own. But also I was in a room with five different Nicoles in kindergarten. Right. Mm-hmm. So there were like three that were like Nicole plus their last name. Then the one that was like Nicole plus her initial. And then I became Nikki because I think that's what people called me in my home. So it was easier. But 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 that doesn't matter. But but the point is, I, I think that like, yeah, the license plates, what's attractive about them is that there's like other people. Right. That you're like not just. You're not just it's like other people buy this license plate and it's them and it's you. Mm-hmm. Have you also found like a Nikki license plate? Now I find them, yeah. okay. but growing yeah. up they were yeah. they were rare. Yeah, huh. like at Magic Mountain, I I have so few license plates because they were sold <laughs> out. They were sold out, or they didn't have, or my spelling. I don't think my spelling, the way I spell Nikki, was popular until after the Prince song. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. It was always like C K. Yeah. Oh, thanks, N-I-C-K-Y. Prince. C K Y. Yeah, another and, like, thing. Like Nikki to... Six. Nikki Six Pop. I think like in the eighties, it became like a popular way to spell it. And I have a confession to make right now on this radio show. That's how my parents spelled it: N I C K Y. And if you look at my yearbook, it's N I C K Y, and I changed it to N I K K I when job. I started writing at the Skateboard Magazine because I was thinking of Nikki Six. You're listening to the People on K Chung, sixteen thirty a.m. I'm Matthew Timmons. And I'm Ben White. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the show. We're hosted by Insert Blanc Press. Go to uh, insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page to find out more. And now back to our conversation with Nikki Darling and Sam Cohen. Yeah, so I actually remember Nikki very well um, <laughs> from the very first... The, the first... Um, orientation i guess for our incoming class at cal arts in the, we in the were, mfa writing program it was, yeah. yeah in the mfa yeah. writing program at cal arts um we were sitting in the writing building like 20 of us in a classroom all in a circle and everyone was just sitting there very nervously and i was walking to the bathroom and i think you were walking out of the bathroom yeah. and you were like hey and i was like hi and you're like so do you have a crush on anyone in the program <laughs> And I, <laughs> I was, I was really shocked, and and um, I think didn't know what to say to that question, but it didn't matter because you yeah. just responded with, "I have a crush on this uh, person." And then, yeah, you told me who you had a crush on in the yeah. program, and it felt 
it felt really personal. Oh. Um, and <laughs> well, and it, it, but it, yeah, it was kind of great retrospectively because I think we were all still trying so hard to seem serious and professional and you had just really bridged this distance really (laughs) really quickly and abruptly um well i can tell you right now that i never walk into anything trying to seem serious or professional i think Mm -hmm. because i realized early on that i just am not those things so i wanted to ask about i know and i don't know if this is like general knowledge but by the time this show is up it probably will be that you have a uh you have a a book or a chapbook like chap thing book. coming from Eohippus yeah. and I wanted to hear about that because I of course we, we love Eohippus yeah you know. Harold shout out Harold mm-hmm. shout out to Harold there. <laughs> and Amanda <laughs> and Amanda and yeah. Amanda that's a good uh, press yeah so yeah what is that project yeah so that's part of um a project that I've been working on forever um that um and it's still an ongoing it's it's an ongoing project yeah. um so i've been writing for a, a very long time um in addition to kind of my work about girls um i've been writing under the fictional institute for flying which also strikes me as particularly la like this fictional institute that doesn't exist but that i started back in new york a really long time ago um I- I think I've read some. Uh, yeah, some yeah. Oh, story you published of some of it yeah, actually yeah. on okay, Joyland. Yeah, for sure on Joyland. Um, yeah, I'm like, it's really taken. Yeah, it's really <laughs> taken a different turn like, since then. Um, it used to be just all kind of instructional pieces. Right. Um, and now, it's kind of. And this actually, I did do for and now. Um, on a panel that was not rejected. Um, was, <laughs> um, um, was uh, it, it's kind of morphing into a fictional theory of evolution that is reimagining evolution as queer nice. and collaborative instead of competition-based and hetero um, and cis Ugh. and all of See, those this things. this is why I fucking and love her. So, <laughs> like, listen um, to that. It's so cool. And <laughs> so it's just kind of reimagining how different species evolve and and kind of looking at the the interactivity between like two members of the species because Mm -hmm. it's kind of looking at, you know, like, yeah, evolution happens through interaction and through creativity and through grouping through like groups of people want or group. Sorry. (laughs) I'm like anthropomorphizing so much. Like groups of people, um, groups of creatures kind of deciding to do something different and stick together. So that those traits, um, yeah. So, so the thing that I'm doing on Eohippus, um, is, uh, a reimagining of two or three species um, strange birthing habits um, and so wait two what awesome. two or three species got I'm it. not sure yet but I yeah and I just I just got illustrations back from Oliver Bendorf who is a poet and artist in Washington DC um, nice. and are you feeling them yeah they're great cool so. When yeah. is that due to be out, or can you not yeah. say? Um, you well, know? yeah, I, I, it was supposed to be out January twenty third, but I have not. I was supposed to have sent the materials, and I haven't yet, so it's a postponed deadline. Got but it. hopefully, within the next month or two. So everyone should just keep their eyes out. Yeah, keep yeah, your eyes great. out. Yeah. Keep them peeled. Okay, Sam. So, um, something that I, uh, I've noticed in your work, and I actually mentioned this in the Pink Review of Gossip. 
Wait, can I just say something else really quickly about yes. the Flying Institute project? Is I just want to say that we also, um, I also have been working with a visual artist, Samuel Every, on an installation that's going up at Angel's Gate January 23rd. Oh, cool. So there will be... Um, and what of, is, where is Angel's Gate? It, oh, Angel's Gate Cultural it's Center San in San Pedro. The greatest place So it's, yeah, it's Mar-de-Val. a drive down from LA. Yeah, Mardaval Wasserman is a curator. She's Amazing. great. Um but yeah, San Pedro is weird and cool. I love San Pedro so much. Minimum territory. Um, the Buke. Bukowski. Right. Yeah. Arturo right. Bandini. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Oh, it's a literary hotspot. A lot hot of good spot. stuff coming out of there. Um, okay, so my question for you, and so often in your stories, I feel like there's this sort of suspension of disbelief, and I hesitate to call it magical realism because I don't feel like that's exactly what you're doing, but a lot of things in your worlds are given to us as absolutes, but they're things that could not exist in this real world. Really? Like what? Well, like with the the story that was in Black Clock. Oh, I don't, like, don't want to speak for that story. I really... Okay. Or like but... where someone cuts their arm off in a truck. <laughs> but or... she doesn't actually cut her arm off. Oh. And that, I think that's important. Okay, okay. Well, I also think about, like, the swimming story, right? Where mm-hmm. I don't know if that girl's going to die or live. Or, like, there's this there's this sort of unknown aspect to your work that's sort of, mm-hmm. like, metaphysical almost. Even with the flying. But yeah. He seems sort of resistant to me. I'll chime in on that one. I think so, too. I mean, I, I mean even the Institute for Flying stuff, I mean, mm-hmm. that I... It's a story that I remember not super well from a while but back. But it doesn't feel but magically real. It's, is the yeah, thing. it's, it's not different. magical realism. It feels like, it really does feel like ontologically real or something. It's yeah. like you're shifting like basic laws in this like not, it's not like you're saying, it's not like a post-apocalyptic kind of storyline where it's like, shit right. went really crazy. It's like, it's like, I don't want to say it's minor shifts, but it's because they're right. big things. But it's like and it happens a small change repeatedly yeah. in your work, whether yeah. you're aware of it or not. It's <laughs> right. To- I for some reason don't want to own this. I'm really resistant to okay. this idea. Um, or like the the dolls. Well, the, well, the, well, the why are you resistent? Then? Yeah, yeah. Why are you- yeah. But <laughs> the story. I mean, it, maybe it's easier to. And what's what is the name of the story with the with the? I know the. The arm isn't cut off in that story. Right, what was the name right, of that story? Right. Yeah, it's I just sustenance. read it. It's really old. But right. I just read it. Yeah. But but it does take it like yes, the arm isn't cut off, but there's a twist there where it's just casual conversation with these people, Thank like you. this couple, right. just hanging, and then and then all of a sudden, the, I believe it's the female character is like, mm-hmm. "Cut me," you know, right, and it just right, twists, right. and it doesn't become right. anything magical or science fictiony right. or it's accepted. whatever. Right. But it's there's a very it's a very dramatic turn. Right. right. So, or the period story, which you don't have to talk about. But um, I don't know if that girl drowns. And if she does, then that other girl's a murderer. She's never drowning. No, I, I mean, the, when they're driving to the cove, swimming to the Oh, co- oh in that story. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. see? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that... Um, I think that I'm just really interested in moments of intensity because I think we're talking about kind of a couple of different things here. Like the fly- intensely what's intense happening moments. in the Flying Institute it's stuff different. is really yeah. different than yeah. 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 Um, I think I I have been and no I I keep wanting to say that I'm moving out of this, but I'm I'm probably not. Um, and yeah, I think I am really interested in extremely intense moments in dyadic relationships and I think that that actually informs some of the flying institute like theory of evolution stuff too is like what happens between two beings to create this major change um because I I do think that change yeah that 
um, really strange shifts can happen between two people in a way that they don't tend to either um, with one person or with larger groups often. Um, But that like a lot of social rules and ways of interacting um, can, can change and get really weird. Um, Especially when there's romance and or sex involved, right? I would say that possibly, but not necessarily. Um, Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that that's not necessarily true. I think particularly with um, female friendships that there can be really intense female friendships that get really weird where there's not anything sexual. Right. Um, So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if things get as weird between two dudes. Oh, they get weird. Yeah. (laughs) Do they? Sure. They do. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I have no idea. Um, I think, but I think that there can be like an intensity or... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just arm wrestle. (laughs) Cool. Thank you. Yeah, no, but Mm -hmm. I love that about your work because I, I... It doesn't always happen, but I know that there's a possibility that something like that is going to happen and that I'm not, I'm not like that. I, when it usually when it happens, I have Mm -hmm. no idea that it's coming. And so I think what it is, is that you're very skilled as a writer in surprising the reader, but also offering that intensity in a way that is palpable, if that makes sense. Like I feel it like when I'm reading it, it feels like. Like, sometimes I get, like, little gooseys where I'm like, oh, that's really, yeah. like, intense. Dang, yeah. girl. I think that maybe a this reason that I... Gonna I die. think Yeah, I think that a, a reason that I resist the magical realism label or other I things I don't think like it's magical is realism. Is because this kind, of, this kind of stuff actually happens, happens yeah. to me a oh. lot, I think. Um... Like I mean, I was telling you on the way over here, and on on Christmas oh, yes. on Christmas That's Day, true. I ended up in a situation where I ended up. Um, Dang, you're with, right. That's yeah. intense. Um, Tell them. Yeah. Um, this I is en- crazy. <laughs> yeah, you got a microphone. Go. I ended up um, kind of with my new boo of a couple months, um, sleeping on the side of a mountain in like sub-zero temperatures or sub-freezing temperatures. Um, because we got so lost in the desert. Um, and it felt like the kind of thing that would happen in one of my stories. Yeah. And wasn't you um, guys and, like a hyperthermic and, and you didn't does, know or something? Well, I think, that we, I think that the decision to finally like lay down came out of hypothermia. Because I was reading about hypothermia and it's like your decision making gets really bad. It gets really hard to walk. And I was feeling like I couldn't walk. And I was also feeling... I kept saying the words out loud. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, <sighs> and then, yeah. And then I just started saying, okay, 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 okay. Um, and, and we decided to lay down and wait for it to get light outside. Um, but it like something like that does feel to me like the kind of thing that happens, like could happen with two people and somehow not with one person and not with, not with a group. Like if I had been there. No Some, one would have laid down. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been like, you guys can lay down and die. I am We're going to be yeah. walking. Yeah, yeah. Um, huh. Yeah, so, that's totally something that would happen in one of your and, stories. And like, you're it right. will. It will happen in you the story. You think I'll use that at some point? I, oh, yeah. I, so think, I think it'll... I think it'll probably be used at several points in yeah. different ways because it feels like the kind of thing that I need to yeah. work through. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, Sam Cohen and Nikki Darling, thanks for being on the people. Yeah, Thank thanks, you guys. guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank this you is guys great. So much. Thank you. You've been listening to the people on K Chung, 1630 AM. Our theme music, as always, is Ock Fifth by Lewis Keller. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the People Radio. Please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Or go to insertbunkpress.net and click on the people at the top of the page. We're also on Stitcher and SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash insertblanc. That SoundCloud page also features additional recordings from various readings and performances, which we think you'll enjoy. We're going to go out with a recent godly and cream flip from friend of the show, DJ CCC Gracias, alter ego of Sunara. You can hear more of his music at www.sunara.com. That's S-U-N-A-R-A-W.com. And the name of the track is Sam Cream. I'd like to know you better. Maybe take you home.
Oh, my.